Hi, welcome to the Energy Expert Network. We're having a wonderful interview with Liberty Frack. Uh, we've got Ron Gusick. He is the president of Liberty Frack. And we've got Michael Tanner, our host, analyst, and general all-around guy for Oil & Gas 360. I had the privilege of being the uh, producer for this interview, and I mean it is cool. We cover everything from ESG to the new uh, integration with Slumberjay. This is a fabulous interview. I'm going to turn it over to Michael. Well, I'm really excited for this, and and I think one of the things I always like to, you know, a little inside baseball I like to tell people that listen to is uh, when I originally when I reached out to you about a couple weeks ago, it was uh, really to talk about specifically Liberty and, and the technology that you guys do here. I think uh, kind of what fell into our laps was this was this new deal that you guys have with Slumberger. So we've got really, I think, two big topics to cover here. Um, before I dive into any of that, Ron, I I kind of just want to get your background a little bit. You've you you you've done a lot, been a lot of places. Um, and, and my dad's proud. He's a mechanical engineer by trade. Always used to tell me those are the smartest guys. So I'm kind of. I guess you could take us back there and tell us kind of how you got to where you are at Liberty. Sure, sounds good. Um, yeah, as, as you said, mechanical engineer by training. I uh, you know I grew up with a dad who was a was a carpenter and machinist by trade, and so I always loved to tinker out in the shop. It was kind of natural. I'd uh, I'd find my way into something like that, and so ended up being mechanical engineering. I would tell you quite candidly, though, that I I, I didn't intentionally end up in the oil and gas industry. I uh, mm -hmm. I had grown up in the '80s when uh, you know things got a little challenging in the industry, and I was a teenager then. And and growing up in Alberta, um, you know the GDP up there probably 35 percent of it related to oil and gas. We went through some pretty tough times in the province, and so. I kind of thought oil and gas wasn't going to be the long-term home for me. Uh, uh, so I started in heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. I thought that everybody would always need that for uh, for the rest of their lives. And that especially in Canada. Place. Yeah, especially in Canada. So a good, stable place to, to find a career. It's like Canada and Hawaii, two best places to, to, to sell air conditioning or heating and cooling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, but anyway, I had a roommate who worked in oil and gas. In fact, I don't think I had a good friend from engineering who didn't work in oil and gas. And so ultimately... Uh, it was about four years down the road. I uh, I found myself with an interview at what was Nowsco Well Services at the time. Uh, BJ ultimately bought them to find their way back into Canada, and uh, interviewed with that uh, with the head of engineering there on a Monday. And by Friday, I had a job offer to go to work at Nowsco in the frac department. And, and so I uh, jumped at that chance. I have been an oil and gas guy ever since. So that was back in the mid nineties, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Oh gosh, what a what a fun ride! It it turns out to have been one of those things that that just worked out well and and has led to a tremendous group of friends and and some tremendous experiences. So, you know, I spent some time at at, at BJ Services, worked my way up through Frac there, ultimately uh, leading the Frac Engineering Department, and it was then that I um, that I actually met Chris Wright. So this is probably. 2002 or 2003, we were FRAC mm -hmm. Pro users. And so Dr. Lane Wires, who's the VP of engineering here, would come to Canada and teach FRAC Pro courses. And I would sit in those courses. So I came to know, know the Pinnacle team well. And, and ultimately, they made a decision to have a presence in Canada. And so I, uh, I was considered for that role and, and ultimately offered the job. So in June of 2003, I joined the Pinnacle Technologies team. And Many of the of the Liberty family here were part of that team as well. So Chris, our CEO here, was running that company. And 
along with a number of the of, of the other managers here uh, also there. And, and so it's a group of people I got to know well, but really my my first big foray into technology and frack. Of course, Pinnacle was out there on the leading edge in terms of deploying, first of all, tilt and ultimately microseismic for measuring how fractures grew. Mm -hmm. uh, and then together with that, uh, subsurface engineering in, in fracture uh, design and, and the Frack Pro software itself, of course. So, you know, I find my, found myself working on all of the leading edge projects. You know, we were working in the Barnett Shale at the time, trying to crack that nut. Uh, same thing up in Canada and also globally. And, and so I had a lot of fun in the technology world there. Uh, Halliburton ultimately bought that organization in 2008. And so I went off and tried a few other things. I, uh, I had to go at the E&P business for a while. I joined a small uh, junior oil and gas company. We drilled a deep light oil prospect in the central San Joaquin Valley in California. Turns out I was better at finding water than oil. And so uh, uh, that was not a... Uh, that was not the success I was hoping for. A, a, a tremendous engineering experience. I learned a lot uh, in, in that uh, couple of years drilling wells, some things I had never, ever done in my life. And I think I'm probably a better service company guy for having done that, knowing the, the challenges that an E&P company yeah. goes through. So um, went to Sandgel for a while. I was the vice president of engineering and technology there, oversaw corporate engineering and the corporate technology R&D team there. I uh, ran into Chris again in the fall of 2013 at an SPE conference. And, and uh, you know, of course, we kept in touch. We, uh, we tried to keep the Pinnacle band getting together every year or so for a little reunion. But, uh, but ran into him then and he said, hey, I've got, I've got Liberty up and running. And, man, if you'd be open to moving your family to Denver from Calgary, I would uh, love to have you join the team. And so I went home and talked to Jody and the girls about that. And we ultimately made the decision to relocate to Denver and join the band again. And so... I have been at Liberty since February 2014, and gosh, what a fun ride. I uh, couldn't be happier we made the decision to move. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so what – I know you're a Calgary guy, but is Denver fairly close? What, are you a skier, snowboard? Did you do any of that here? Yeah, you, you got to have a winter sport, of course, if you grow up in Canada. You know, we get, we get six or eight months of that up there. So, mm -hmm. yes, I'm an avid skier, uh, as is the whole family, and, and so we've been working hard to try to ski uh, most every ski hill in, in Colorado. We we haven't checked off every box yet, but but we're working hard at it. Mm -hmm. And so I want to I want to start you know right when you kind of took over because you were first before you before you kind of became the president you were the vice president of technology. What were some of the big technology initiatives that you really wanted to to, to kind of push off the table when you really started this way back in 2014? Well, I, I, you know I don't think our focus on technology has changed a whole lot uh, mm -hmm. even since the Pinnacle days. You, you know we we really aim in that specific world for uh, a key focus on downhole technology. So we're trying to understand how to, we call it the road to happy Valley, really the, the path to lowering the cost per barrel of oil equivalent produced out of a well. So we want to get to the optimal spot there uh, where whatever that reservoir looks like. And so those are, those are initiatives we have continued to push. And, and, and that really takes two forms in our world. Uh, first of all, trying to understand the reservoir we're in. So we had set out from the very beginning to collect huge amounts of data and to and to have that data in-house uh, under our control so that we could work with that. We have a great engineering department here, uh, geology capabilities, reservoir engineering capabilities, frac design capabilities, all supported by a, a massive database of uh, well completions and productivity from across the basins we work in. I'd guess that database is, you know, maybe 70 or 80,000 wells big now and continuing to grow as we expand our world. 
uh, that data it has to be one of the most expansive databases in the industry, considering the amount of business you guys are doing, and considering what we'll get into, which is this one-step stuff. So, oh my goodness, I can imagine it's growing quickly. Yeah, and 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 important. Uh, you know, you can't do anything without great data to uh, yep. to make decisions around. And ultimately, if we were going to get to a place where we could do uh, multivariate analysis on that data, you want a comprehensive data set, but it, but you need an accurate data set as well. So, you know, we intentionally scrub every one of those data points ourselves. Part of the reason why we want to control that, that uh, database internally. So that's been a huge initiative for us. A lot of, a lot of work hand in hand with the ENP companies to develop the right frac design, the right completions design, the right perforating strategy, uh, all supported by robust data analysis based on this huge uh, database of wells to provide guidance on what the right completion is. And so, you know, that started in the Bakken in our early days. We brought a novel completion design there, really kicked off the, sl the slick water uh, revolution in the Bakken and, and have since expanded to, of course, the DJ and, and the Permian and the Eagleford and, and continue to work with those ideas there. And so, so a huge amount of work going on down hole to continue to improve uh, completions there. But then in parallel with that, of course, we now have the world of operations. So we didn't really have that at, at Pinnacle. We were more a downhole technology <laughs> company, but now, of course, we run frac operations on surface. And so there's a huge amount of opportunity that comes along with having that in our purview as well. And so think about things like reducing the impact. We work in Colorado where, you know, the nearest home might be as little as 500 feet away from the well site that we are working on. And we want to do all that we can to minimize the impact to those folks while we're there completing a well. Think noise, think dust, think truck traffic. All of those things are opportunities that we have in front of us to be a better neighbor. And so we've been focused on trying to find a way to, to reduce all of those. Uh, early adopters of containerized sand, for example, we did that in 2014, very shortly after I arrived at, uh, at Liberty, we headed down that road. Uh, the quiet fleet development started in 2014, ultimately took us a couple of years to get that one across the finish line. But now I would argue we have the, the quietest uh, frack fleets you can put on location. Um, truck traffic through uh, uh, optimization of, of uh, logistics planning and things like that. So that's been a fair bit of software development to ultimately get down that road. Uh, containerized sand helped with minimizing the number of loads that we were shipping down there. And then, of course, emissions is the other big one. You know, as we think about ESG and specifically the E piece of that, we've uh, we've wanted to find ways to deploy the latest and greatest technology with the goal of minimizing our impact out there. And so that has uh, that has driven our evolution of the equipment we choose to put out on location. Uh, early adopters of dual fuel, for example, the ability to consume natural gas on location, offsetting gallons of diesel burn. So lots of lots of initiatives that have gone on here in the in the six plus years that I've been here. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, a pretty extensive listen. And then that was the, the quiet fleet was what, the, you know, uh, your social media team runs a really nice Tech Tuesday post. And that was what originally caused me to reach out because, yeah, I mean, especially in this world, considering Colorado Senate Bill 181 coming back around with, with the pushback, it, 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 this stuff is going to be imperative moving forward. You know, as we look today, are there anything, you know, I always like to, you know, before we kind of dive into the slumber, J.D., where do you, is there anything that you guys are, are seeing right now coming down the pipeline that you guys are worried about? I, I know the kind of the big push is, you know, at least, you know, everyone's talking about the cloud. I know you guys talked about your database and you guys are much more of a downhole and operations technology focused team. So what are some things that you guys might be focused on moving forward that, that you see coming, kind of coming down the pipeline? 
Yeah, still, still, obviously, lots of initiatives from a digitalization standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if if you just think about the number of assets that we have deployed in the world, and and of course that number is about to get dramatically bigger. Uh, there's a huge amount of data available to us there, and, and as a result of being able to collect all of that data, you know, the ability to make better decisions, to uh, run a better oper- operation on location, to uh, to be more thoughtful about our maintenance and equipment design and things like that. So there's. There's a huge amount of work going on in that particular area. Um, you know, it's easy to collect the data, but ultimately uh, making use of that data, yes. turning it into something valuable that that frames go forward decisions for us or uh, thoughts around how we design equipment. You know, I think we still have a huge amount of opportunity as an industry there. Uh, artificial intelligence, of course, will come a long ways as that data sets get gets larger and larger and larger. You know, we, we talk a lot about the size of our our well database, uh, 70 or 80,000 wells. I mean, mm. that's not even the number of credit card transactions in a second. So, mm. y- you know, when we think about the amount of data we have available to us, what's versus what's available in many other areas for making mm. those sorts of informed decisions with AI, we're, we're a little bit of a small fry in, in some regards. But as we start to collect more and more data, particularly on equipment where we can sample uh, information on a per second basis from a, every engine, every transmission, every pump that we have running, that can get to be a very large database very, very quickly. And, I, and I'm and i excited about the opportunities that we have in front of us there as we continue to grow that and develop the technology that frames our, our thoughtfulness going forward. The other area I can never let go of, of thinking about though remains downhole. You know, mm. if you think about where we are from a recovery standpoint in an average well, the opportunity is still massive. You know, you look at a place like the Bakken, we get, you know, uh, maybe somewhere in the teens percent recovery out of one mm. of those wells, at least in primary recovery. Gosh, that's a huge, huge opportunity in front of us if we can figure out a way to get more oil out of the ground in the primary phase of recovery, given a, a better design completion. And, and I don't know where that innovation comes from just mm. yet, but of course, there's a lot of work going on on the chemistry side, trying to understand if there are surfactants or things like that that might ultimately help us get more oil out of the ground. But I see that as as just a crazy big opportunity that we have to continue to work away on. Obviously, the more oil we can get out of every well, the less wells we have to drill, the less impact we have on surface and the better a neighbor we are. Yeah, and, and that really leads into my next question. You know, you know, we, we've touched on it a little bit, but this this ESG idea, and I know, you know, with your background being in in, in Canada, Canada was was really first on the scene with the ESG. Uh, you know, I, I think really before it became a, a not not I don't want to say a hot topic in the United States, but really something that that affected the U.S. companies just because of the political environment that that, that sort of has has was was around in the early days. Again, and is that something that you know, specifically with you, you you've been in touch with this stuff in, in sort of every stop that you've been with, whereas I think a lot of people who's only have necessarily worked in, in the United States maybe have, have, have only recently just become to have to, you know, sort of take it seriously. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I, I would say that, you know, part of what has made Liberty the success that it is, is uh, we, we've had, we had a couple of core focuses right out of the gate. You know, we always thought culture was important, but we've always thought that doing things the right way, the best possible way was, was critical to being a, uh, a long run success. Uh, especially given the industry that we work in and, and, you know, maybe the, uh, we'll say putting the head in the sand kind of approach that the oil and gas industry has had to some of these things. And, and, you know, we just haven't been out in front of this. It's not that we haven't been doing the right things, but I I just think we have done a disservice to ourselves by not, by not being out there and, uh, and educating folks. You know, you mentioned the tech Tuesday thing, of course, part of the reason for that is just making sure that we help people understand exactly what, it is that hydraulic fracturing is and 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 really how 
understanding we are of the whole process. So, you know, I think we've worked very, very hard since the outset to always be out in front. That's just, it's in our DNA. It's who we are and it's how we think we should do business. And, and so from the very beginning, we have brought a focus on particularly the, the E side of things, but, but with regards to, you know, social and governance, we have a huge number of initiatives there. Probably won't get into that today, but uh, you know, we, we started thinking about containerized sand long before that was really an issue on the forefront and, and dual fuel technology. I mean, we've had, we deployed our first dual fuel fleet in 2013. So, you know, long before it became the buzzword of the day to talk about ESG, we were headed down that road. And, the, you know, that's, that's about being a good business partner to the, to the customers that we work with is seeking out and finding those ways to bring great technology to the table that helps make their job easier. And, you know, they're the ones that are ultimately out in front of the, the neighborhoods and in the community town halls and whatnot, uh, explaining what it is they're going to be doing and, and mm-hmm. working with the, with the, uh, the, uh, the neighborhood, the schools, the, the local government and whatnot to, to maintain that license to operate in the area. So it's up to us to be as supportive as possible in that and to, to be as innovative as we can to make sure they're bringing the, uh, the best possible technology to the table as economically as possible. Yeah, and, and I can I can back you up on the ESG stuff. I I, I took over. I, I started working with Intercom about eight nine months ago, and I went through their YouTube channel. And I think it was February of 2018. I got a we've got a video of, of Liberty drinking. You guys drinking frack fluid at the <laughs> oil and gas conference, which is if that's not ESG or if that's not the E and ESG, I don't know what is. So I can totally back you guys up. You've been you've been on this from the beginning. <laughs> Ah uh, yes. Well, those are the things you have to do to convince people that that really we aren't uh, what we're made out to be. Sometimes, you know, I I I love our industry to death, and I think we do a huge amount of good in this world, and and we have a lot to be very very proud of. But we don't do a great job showing it off, and so mm-hmm. sometimes you gotta you gotta step out there a little ways and be bold about these things. And you know, so we're we're proud to be a leader in that. You, you know, Chris Wright, our CEO. Well, he is. He is a proud spokesperson for our industry and, and loves to talk about the great things that we do. And so anything we can do to uh, to be out there in front of the public and, and show them that that we're doing the right thing and, and that we do what we do, we do very, very safely. We're all in for it. I, th- I think it's awesome. But uh, all right, I think it's time we should go ahead. and just, I think everybody was kind of just waiting around to, to hear a little bit more about the, the, the Slumberjay deal that you guys just did because, you know, th- th- this kind of came together actually after we had already this interview lined up. So, first of all, I appreciate you you still keeping this. It could have been very easy for you guys to kind of push this off or move. So, when I appreciate I just kind of want to hear, how did this get going? And if you can give us any little insight, maybe. I know people always like to hear how these deals came together. Sure. Well, I, yeah, I can give you a little bit of history for sure. I, I You know, we've we've not been a company that's been very acquisitive. It's just not in our DNA. We've been so focused on culture that uh, for the most part, we have aimed to grow organically. And and that's the way we've done it for almost all of our history with one exception back in the last downturn. Uh, you know, I had worked at Sandgel and of course they'd gone through a bit of a challenging time and, and ultimately found themselves in a position they couldn't get out of it. And, and so in 2016, we acquired the assets and and uh, some great folks from Sandgel and made them part of the Liberty organization. And it was a transformational step for us. And so it's not, uh, you know, we've we've always been open to the idea, but only where the exactly the right fit came along, where it made compelling sense, both for us as an organization, uh, for our for our shareholders uh, as well, and, and ultimately made was going to make Liberty a better organization going forward. So, 
you know, as we think about all the things that were required to make that happen, more often than not, when we were approached about a transaction, it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But then this conversation came up. And, and so, you know, Schlumberger had been very, very clear about their plans to move to a slightly different business model in North America. They're headed towards a very digital model, uh, somewhat asset light model. And, and so, you know, we're seeking out an opportunity that made sense in the long term for the, the one stem family and, and, and how to, uh, how to have that be, uh, uh, be a great organization that continued to move forward. It, that conversation started pre COVID and, and when we heard about the opportunity, we were very, very excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, here is an organization with a long, proud history in oil field services, arguably the, you know, maybe the greatest global oil field services company uh, that exists today and, and certainly has existed in history with a tremendous technology platform with great people that is incredibly well regarded by their customers. Just a lot of great things going on there. But, but you know, maybe a bit of a decision from the uh from the team that it wasn't going to be the, it, it wasn't going to be the right business model for them going forward. And so, you know, when you go looking for a partnership, uh, it, uh, you know, a home for, for that uh, team going forward, you want something that matches it well. And as it turns out, Liberty and, and Schlumberger think about business very, very much the same way. First of all, we, you know, we want to take great care of our people. And so we work very, very hard to develop people that want to be there for the long term incredibly long tenured folks and 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 they have a great history of that i i have been traveling around for the last couple of, of weeks meeting the one stem family and the the number of people that have found themselves there for years and years and years mm-hmm. decades 20 plus years is is nothing short of incredible and truly a testament to uh the quality of the organization they have there so that that's pretty exciting for us the the technology platform that that those folks have you know, coming o- coming over as part of this transaction is access to 400 plus patents and a m- huge technology platform that goes along with that. That's that's fantastically exciting to tech guys like us. And so, yeah. you know, you look at that from either side, and and you know, by by third party surveys, you find or- two organizations that are incredibly highly regarded by the E and P companies out there in terms of their ability to bring technology to the table. And so that partnership looks very very good. And then you know, in in terms of of other synergies, gosh, there's all kinds of them. The list is very, very long. And, and so when this when this conversation started, both sides, I think, recognized that the go forward uh, combination of Liberty and the, and the one stem team could be tremendously exciting, could be an unrivaled platform in North America that delivered top-notch operations, top-notch technology with great people. And, uh, and, and that was, that was exciting for all involved. So, you know, that was, that was the genesis of the conversation. You know, obviously the world got yanked out from underneath of us partway through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that maybe had us pause for a little while while we both figured out just how to get through the, the couple of months that, that uh, proceeded ultimately getting this to the finish line. But, but at the end of the day, both teams very committed to, to seeing it through. And so we were able to pick things back up after uh, life got a little more stable again and, mm-hmm. and so excited to get to the, uh, to get to the finish line with it. Yeah, and I think you know, I think it's interesting you mentioned that this kind of started pre-COVID. I think you know, I think if I think if a lot of people would have guessed, they would have said this was a, a maybe a COVID decision to to for for Slumberger to deal. But no, that's that's interesting that they were thinking of this before. You know, obviously the shareholders loved the deal. Stock was up twenty percent since then. <laughs> well, from from, from a, you know, you kind of mentioned from the tech side and some of the operations, but from a, from an executive, what that what what made this deal really attractive to you guys as as an executive team? 
Well, you know, I, I think as we think about the industry going forward, first of all, you know, from our standpoint, it was not a, there was never a need to do a deal. Mm-hmm. We were very happy with where Liberty was. We have a great platform going forward. Uh, we loved our spot in the industry, but there is always opportunity to make an organization better. And, and, you know, we of all people certainly recognize that for Liberty. We are huge believers in technology. So, from that standpoint, this this deal was a no-brainer. We have always looked at, at Schlumberger in very high regard in terms of the work that they have done, both on the surface, uh, equipment, automation, uh, the electric backside, uh, and, and then uh, also from the subsurface standpoint. Uh, they, they do a huge amount of work in, in reservoir engineering and completions design. They have tremendous tools there. And, and so we saw that as, as just a fit that was going to work very, very well. We are probably in an industry that is going to be very, very different than than the years that we grew up in, so to speak. You know, we started Liberty in 2011, really pumped our first frack job in 2012. Uh, margins have pretty much gone downhill nonstop since that point in time. You know, 2013 was worse than 2012. 14 was worse than 13. Of course, we had 15 and 16 that were just a terrible blip. We yeah. got a bit of a recovery in 17 and 18, and now we find ourselves in a tough spot again. And and, you know, I think as you look forward, we're going to be in a smaller industry. We don't need 400 or 450 frack fleets anymore. We probably need 200 or 250 frack fleets going forward. We've, got, we've gotten more efficient. We figured out ways to get more uh, oil out of every well that we drill. And, and so that has the marketplace looking different. It obviously has the market from a completion standpoint somewhat oversupplied. And so, you know, I think as we think about things going forward, I expected that we would likely see consolidation Obviously, on the E&P side, mm-hmm. uh, more assets in the hands of, of bigger and bigger players. It, it's just tough to be a small E&P when there's not access to capital to fund a drilling program going forward. So, you, you know, I think as we look forward, we see more and more of the assets in the hands of, of larger organizations that can manage out of their cash flow a, a steady drilling program. And, and from the service side, um, something similar that needed to happen. We, we, we had... 45 or 50 frack companies out there, assets pretty fragmented. And, and uh, you know, in these lower margin worlds, scale obviously helps when you go forward. So so there's some benefit to, to mm-hmm. being a slightly larger organization. But um, it also added, it also added um, basins that we had not been in before. You know, we had looked at the gas basins uh, from a distance for a number of years and ultimately just hadn't found the right entry point. Uh, hadn't really had any free assets to deploy to a gas basin mm-hmm. uh, regardless. And so it just hadn't gotten there. But, uh, you know, there's some good synergy there in in the fact that we hadn't been to the Haynesville and we hadn't been to the Northeast. We had not been in the Midcon and we had not been in Canada. And we have the opportunity to add all of those through this transaction. And then, of course, from a shareholder standpoint, it was accretive on all metrics. It's accretive on revenue per share. It's accretive on uh, adjusted EBITDA per share. It's accretive yep. on free cash flow per share. And so as a business owner, um, you know, I look at that and see it as, as beneficial as well. So we just looked across the spectrum and we just couldn't find a way that this was going to be detrimental to the business. The only risk we saw was was one of culture. Of course, we are strong believers in the culture we have created at Liberty. And uh, so whenever we consider something like this, first and foremost, we got to make sure we don't do anything to hurt that. And and so we just had to make sure we were going to be fine in that regard. And, and I think we're comfortable we can do that as well. There's a lot of a lot of great folks at, uh, at the, in the one STEM organization that think exactly the same way we do. 
Yeah, you brought up something that, that I kind of keyed upon when I was pouring over this is, you know, with 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 the frat count, you know, uh, you know, used to being around four to four fifty. You you guys are estimating anywhere between two hundred to two fifty. Will you now go from in terms of sand volume? Uh, you know, this is on one of your guys' slide deck from nine percent market share to twenty two percent market share. So your pot, the pie is shrinking, and you're getting more of it. Great position to be in. It's a fantastic position to be in, and and it's up to us to uh, to not screw that up. You know, we have to continue, of course, to deliver the the same level of service quality, engineering expertise, safety, all of those things on location that our customers have come to know and expect from Liberty. And so we want the go forward platform to deliver exactly those those same uh, those same metrics, that same high level of performance and whatnot. And I think if if we're successful at at that, there's no reason we can't continue to have a meaningful share of the pie such as it is going forward. We're, uh, we, we see tremendous opportunity out there for, uh, for that. I think that's awesome. And just, I guess some more technical question. I'd be remiss if I didn't just ask this. What was the leadership team going to look like? Are you guys going to kind of separate that or what are you guys' thoughts on that? No, the leadership team doesn't change at all. We cool. are, uh, we were, we are the Liberty leadership team that uh, will carry forward with the organization. You know, I think, uh, when this whole conversation started, I think there was a recognition that we had brought something special to the table, specifically in the hydraulic fracturing world, and uh, and that that would be a great a great place for the one stim assets to to find a home mm-hmm. going forward. So, the go forward leadership team uh, at, at the executive level remains exactly the same as it is cool. today. There won't be any changes there. Well, that's good to hear. I was, I was, I was worried for a second. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, yeah, it's just because this is Entercom. I'd be risen if I didn't ask you, what's the brand going to look like? You guys going to kind of do a little rebrand off the assets or how's that look? Uh, brand will stay the Liberty brand going forward. So uh, we're going to get all those trucks painted. That's going to take some time. Of course, they got a, they have a huge amount of assets that'll be coming over as part of the transaction. And uh, of course, we're excited to bring those in. We've talked a little bit about what the, what's going to happen to all of that horsepower. We're obviously not planning to deploy it all and really don't see an opportunity for that going forward. But uh, but for the 2025 fleets that we aim to keep going going forward, we're going to get those all on a single plug and play platform going forward and and branded Liberty. They're going to get painted red and black and uh, and get a big L on the side of them. Nice. Sherman Williams is pumped. I'm going to go out and <laughs> I'm going to have to go find. That's awesome. Um, You know, it, it, I think, you, you know. I guess you know to kind of I think wrap up in my mind this this whole slumber thing. You you mentioned there's there's some more services and there's you know some more offerings you have, but really how I how I see this and I think where a lot of people saw and correct me if I'm wrong is you guys are just getting better at what you're already good at. There's not you you aren't you know, there's there isn't a huge new business venture you guys are getting into and now all of a sudden you're trying to you know you're all of a sudden trying to now you know, uh, you know, drill wells here. You're, you're just getting better at what you're really good. At. I think that's what, what I like. You know, I think, you know, is there anything else kind of about this deal that, that maybe went under, underserved or that you think is, is a super positive, maybe didn't get talked about or didn't quite maybe make the slide deck? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I was certainly remiss in not talking a little bit about vertical integration. You know, we've always said we wanted to be a frack company and, and, and a frack company only. We believe that focus is what delivers the level of performance that we achieve out in the field. And so, you know, when we did the sand gel transaction, for example, it came along with uh, cement and coil tubing, but we made a decision to uh, to divest those service lines at the uh, at the close of that transaction, specifically with that purpose in mind that we wanted to stay focused on frac and not find ourselves distracted by other things. This transaction is a little bit different in that it comes with a couple of other things in the frac vertical, however. And so, you know, as we think about delivering service on location, 
We're, we're all about finding the way to, to spend as many minutes of the day pumping as we can. And there are some things that can impact that. Supply chain's a big one, of course. Sand, we go through a lot of that every day, millions and millions and millions of pounds. And, and so any disruption in that, any, any bit of interference in that, and you can find a frac fleet sitting around uh, waiting on sand. And so we've worked hard to control that supply chain internally. I think of all the pressure pumpers out there, we probably still supply uh, the most sand of anybody to our customers. We, we work for some number of cell sourcers, of course, but, but uh, that's still a minority for us. And the reason for that is we pride ourselves on how good our supply chain is and how effective we've been at that. The ability to add a couple of Permian sand mines is very exciting to us. Uh, we see that as a little further ability to have some control over what is the single biggest input to a frack uh, in the single biggest basin where, where we do frack. So, so that's, a, that's a great step forward for, uh, for us. Those are world-class assets uh, built with uh, top-notch capabilities and expertise there to run them. And so to have that capability in-house directly supporting frack is, is something we're pretty thrilled about. You know, obviously the, the sand world is in a pretty challenged spot right now, yeah. but, uh, but we think in the long term, uh, that's, a, that's a valuable addition. And then the other piece that came along with this is, is uh, plug and perf wireline. So we're not getting into the open hole logging business or anything like that. We're not delving out of that world, but we do add uh, plug and perf capability. And when you think about a frack location, we have one key dance partner out there, and that is the wireline company that we are going back and forth with, back and forth with. We track every minute of every day on every frack location that we work on. I see those reports every night at midnight from every one of our frack leads. Uh, and we care about that because we want to know where we have opportunity to get, to get better. That was one of those spaces. Um, we wait uh, in terms of third-party wire, uh, third-party downtime, six minutes on every stage, every day across every frack lead. That's the average number uh, waiting on wireline. And so when you add all of that time up, six minutes times every stage that Liberty pumps, and that's a lot of time uh, at the yeah. end of the year. And so that represents a massive opportunity for us to deliver improved efficiency on location. So, uh, you know, we've worked with the with the uh, uh, OneStim PDP team on several of our locations. They're a, they a great bunch of guys, and we're excited to get to know that world a little bit better and to have the opportunity to, uh, to work in partnership with them with the goal of getting rid of that six minutes of uh, – downtime per stage across all of our frack fleets. You know, if you think about a scenario where we get to 30 or 35 or 40 frack fleets running, um, man, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a huge amount of time. So, uh, so that's the other addition that came along with it. Another reason we were pretty excited about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so look forward to having that as part of the Liberty family. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I didn't even, you're breaking it down by, you know, the delay per stage. You can really start doing some, yeah, that, well, we'll have to, we're going to have to bring you back and, and update us in a year. See how, see what, how that time's doing. We'll put you on. Um, well, I, you know, before we wrap up here, I, I'd be remiss to just, you know, you know, you know ask I, I kind of a couple, I guess, rapid fire questions. How has, uh, I guess, personally and professionally, how, how has uh, COVID got treated you guys over at Liberty? I hope everyone's been, been okay. Every, everyone's been okay. Certainly, we, we've had a few cases in the company, all of which showed up uh, as a result of somebody enjoying, you know, vacation or something mm -hmm. somewhere. But but fortunately, it, is, it has not impacted business meaningfully. It's been an interesting challenge. So, of course, we're all mm -hmm. learning to work remotely. But um, the frack crews can't do that. You know, those yes. guys all have to show up to work and, and they live in a in a in a very uh, con contained space, uh, staying in camps. Obviously, most of our guys rotate. And so figuring out a plan that we could put in place to have those guys travel to and from work uh, for their rotational uh, time to live in, in the camp and, and be safe there. 
And then also to get out to location and work in very close proximity with one another and keep everybody safe. That's been an interesting exercise. Yeah. And I think a good one going forward. You know, I think we've, we've learned a lot from that that probably makes us a better company going, uh, going forward. What's one, because that was the one thing I wanted to, to kind of ask you about with this COVID event. A lot of the people that we've interviewed, when we ask, oh, well, we were just able to all work from home because now we've got Microsoft Teams and Zoom and all this. <laughs> you guys are boots on the ground. Is is there one kind of, what was, I think, maybe the biggest aha thing that you figured out that kind of helped this? Well, I, I don't know if there was one big aha, but mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of a lot of great common sense. You you, um, you have to be very careful about, about how you think about operations on location and particularly in the data van, right? We have a group of four people there that oversee the entire operation yeah. on a frack location. And uh, and that transition has to happen seamlessly, changing over from crew to crew every 12 hours. So, uh, I mean, there's a, a whole laundry list of steps and a huge amount of credit goes out to the team here that figured out how to do that safely. But, um, but uh, you know, I think it's a testament to the capabilities of people when they have, when they're forced to figure out a solution to make something work. And and to ultimately find a successful way to do that, this was a challenge none of us ever envisioned we would we'd, we'd ever have to deal with. But here we are, you know, five or six months into it, and uh, we have managed to keep operations going seamlessly that's awesome. uh, without a hiccup. Uh, and that's that's a credit to a huge amount of pre planning that uh, that has gone on gone into this, and, and and the willingness of the guys to adopt those plans and and follow them to a T out there, which is what we have to do to keep everybody safe every day. So, you know, that stuff all rolls over into just our broader operation. Yeah, and I, I usually ask, you know, your, your favorite work from home tip, but because we're on the operation, what, what's one thing you would give to your, your, your colleagues in the other services that you would recommend while they're, you know, something to keep in mind if they're still struggling with some of this, how to keep online with, with their operations? I'll kind of flip the question on its head. Oh gosh, that's a that's a tough one. Care and attention, I would say. Uh, you know, you if if you put people first, you know, we've always thought that you have to push decisions out to the tip of the spear as much as possible. Uh, I can't I can't sitting here in Denver make decisions that are ultimately going to keep the guys in the field safe. There's there's a limit to what I can do. I can provide them with plans. I can provide them with support. I can provide them with tools. But ultimately, the the uh, the common sense, the application of that has to happen at the field level, and so. You know, we've always thought, and I would always, I would say to anybody in the service industry, to the extent you can give the, uh, you, you can give the ability to your, to your field staff to make those decisions, to figure out a plan that's going to work for them, that still allows them to do what they need to do. Uh, that's always the pathway to success. Those are smart, smart people out there. They know what needs to get done every day. And, you know, as much as we can provide guidance and support, they're the ones who have to figure out how to get it done. So, uh, Set them free, and uh, and and they'll figure out a plan, and just make sure they've got all the support they need to uh, to get it done. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, I, I I think we've answered everything, Ron. I've really appreciated uh, the the chance to sit down and chat with you. Um, hopefully, this isn't the last time, and and I'm excited to uh, to kind of see and follow you guys moving forward. But but just again, just really appreciate your time, um, and, and looking forward to, to to everything you guys got moving forward. Enjoyed it, Michael. Thanks very much. We appreciate the opportunity to share this time with you. Hey, man, that was a fabulous um, uh, interview with Ron and Michael. That covered a lot. We are so thrilled to have Liberty Frack and all of the topics that they have. Good management, good numbers. Hey, also stop by our Oil & Gas 360 website and take a look at the 
Energy Expert Network to see all of our other podcast, video interviews, and all of your uh, news that you need in the oil and gas and energy space. And subscribe, subscribe, subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate you, and thanks for stopping by.